This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of humeral shaft fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Humeral shaft fractures make up 3 to 5% of all fractures and they have a bimodal age distribution. That is young patients with high energy trauma and elderly osteopenic patients with low energy injuries. Some relevant anatomy to know, as far as the osteology, the humeral shaft is cylindrical. Distally, the humerus becomes triangular, and the intramedullary canal terminates 2 to 3 centimeters proximal to the olecranon fossa. With respect to muscles, the humeral shaft is an insertion for the pectoralis major, the deltoid, and the coracobrachialis. The humeral shaft is an origin for the brachialis, the triceps, and the brachioradialis. As far as nerves, the one to know for these injuries is the radial nerve, which courses along the spiral groove and is found 14 centimeters proximal to the lateral epicondyle and 20 centimeters proximal to the medial epicondyle. Again, the radial nerve is found 14 centimeters proximal to the lateral epicondyle and 20 centimeters proximal to the medial epicondyle. With respect to the classification of humeral shaft fractures, the easiest is just a descriptive classification based on fracture location that is proximal, middle, or distal third, and fracture pattern that is spiral, transverse, or comminuted. One eponym to be aware of is a Holstein-Lewis fracture, which is a spiral fracture of the distal one-third of the humeral shaft commonly associated with neuropraxia of the radial nerve and a Holstein-Lewis fracture has a 22% incidence of radial nerve injury. As far as presentation of humeral shaft fractures, patients obviously have pain and extremity weakness. Physical exam should involve examination of the overall limb alignment, and humeral shaft fractures will often present with shortening and varus. Preoperative or pre-reduction neurovascular exam is critical, and make sure to examine and document the status of the radial nerve pre- and post-reduction. With respect to imaging, radiographs to get include AP and lateral of the humerus, and be sure to include the joint above and the joint below the site of injury. A transthoracic lateral may give a better appreciation of the sagittal plane deformity, and rotating the patient prevents rotation of the distal fragment, avoiding further nerve or soft tissue injury. Traction views may be necessary for fractures with significant shortening, proximal or distal extension, but are not routinely indicated. With respect to treatment, non-operative management involves a coaptation splint followed by a functional brace, and this is indicated in the vast majority of humeral shaft fractures. Criteria for acceptable alignment include less than 20 degrees anterior angulation, less than 30 degrees varus slash valgus angulation, and less than 3 centimeters of shortening. Absolute contraindications include severe soft tissue injury or bone loss, vascular injury requiring repair, and or brachial plexus injury. Remember that radial nerve palsy is not a contraindication to functional bracing. This has been a tested point in the past. As far as outcomes for non-operative management, there is a 90% union rate. However, there is an increased risk of non-union with proximal third oblique or spiral fractures. Varus angulation is common, but rarely has functional or cosmetic sequelae. With respect to damage control orthopedics, closed humerus fractures, including low-velocity gunshot wounds, should be initially managed with a splint or a sling. The type of fixation after trauma should be directed by acceptable fracture alignment parameters, fracture pattern, and associated injuries. 
Moving on to operative management, the two major options are ORIF and intramedullary nailing. With respect to open reduction and internal fixation, the absolute indications include open fracture, vascular injury requiring repair, brachial plexus injury, ipsilateral forearm fracture causing a floating elbow, compartment syndrome, and a periprosthetic humeral shaft fracture at the tip of the stem. Relative indications for ORIF include bilateral humerus fractures, polytrauma or associated lower extremity fracture, which allows early weight bearing through the humerus, pathologic fractures, burn or soft tissue injury that precludes bracing, and certain fracture characteristics like distraction at the fracture site, short oblique or transverse fracture patterns, and or intraarticular extension. With respect to intramedullary nailing, relative indications include pathologic fractures, segmental fractures, severe osteoporotic bone, overlying skin compromise that limits an open approach, and polytrauma. Now, let's talk about some of these techniques in a little bit more detail. With respect to coaptation splinting and functional bracing, a coaptation splint is applied until swelling resolves. A coaptation splint is applied until swelling resolves. An adequately applied splint will extend up to the axilla and over the shoulder. Common deformities with humeral shaft fractures include varus and extension. A valgus mold is helpful to counter the varus displacement. Functional bracing extends from 2.5 centimeters distal to the axilla to 2.5 centimeters proximal to the humeral condyles. A sling should not be used to allow for gravity-assisted fracture reduction. Shoulder extension of the functional brace is used for more proximal fractures. Weekly radiographs should be done for the first three weeks to ensure maintenance of reduction, and then every three to four weeks after that. Moving on to open reduction internal fixation with plating, Approaches include the anterolateral approach to the humerus, which is used for proximal third to middle third shaft fractures. Distal extension of the deltopectoral approach is also used, and remember that the radial nerve is identified between the brachialis and brachioradialis distally. The posterior approach to the humerus is used for distal to middle third shaft fractures, although it can be extensile. The triceps may either be split or elevated with a lateral paratricipital exposure. The radial nerve is found medial to the long and lateral heads and 2 centimeters proximal to the deep head of the triceps. The radial nerve exits the posterior compartment through the lateral intramuscular septum 10 centimeters proximal to the radiocapitellar joint. The lateral brachial-cutaneous-slash-posterior antibrachial-cutaneous nerve serves as an anatomic landmark leading to the radial nerve during a paratricipital approach. With respect to techniques, Plate osteosynthesis is commonly done with a 4.5 mm plate, whether narrow or broad. 3.5 mm plates may function adequately as well. Absolute stability can be achieved with lag screw or compression plating in simple fracture patterns. Make sure to apply the plate in bridging mode in the presence of significant comminution. Postoperatively, full crutch weight bearing has been shown to have no effect on union. Now moving on to closed intramedullary nailing, this can be done in an antegrade or retrograde fashion. Complications can include non-union, shoulder pain, and or nerve injury. Non-union rates have not been shown to be different between intramedullary nailing and plating in a recent meta-analysis. That being said, however, intramedullary nailing is associated with higher total complication rates. Shoulder pain has an increased rate in intramedullary nailing when compared to plating, 
and that rate is between 16 to 37 percent. Functional shoulder outcome scores have not been shown to be different between intramedullary nailing and open reduction internal fixation. With respect to nerve injury, the radial nerve is at risk with the lateral to medial distal locking screw. The musculocutaneous nerve is at risk with an anterior-posterior locking screw. Postoperatively, full weight-bearing is allowed, and this has no effect on union. Complications of humeral shaft fractures include non-union, malunion, where varus angulation is common but rarely has functional or cosmetic sequelae. Risk factors for malunion include transverse fracture patterns. Radial nerve palsy is seen in 8 to 15% of closed fractures, and there is an increased incidence in distal one-third fractures or Holstein-Lewis fracture patterns. Neuropraxia is the most common injury in closed fractures, and neurotmesis is the most common injury in open fractures. 85 to 90% of nerve injuries improve with observation over three months. Spontaneous recovery is found at an average of seven weeks, with full recovery at an average of six months. Observation is indicated as the initial treatment in closed humerus fractures. Obtain an EMG at three to four months if there is no recovery. Wrist extension and radial deviation is expected to be regained first. Again, wrist extension and radial deviation is expected to be regained first. This concept has been tested in the past. The brachioradialis is the first to recover, and the extensor indices is the last to recover. Surgical exploration is indicated for an open fracture with radial nerve palsy, which is likely a neurotmesis injury to the radial nerve. Surgical exploration is also indicated for a closed fracture that fails to improve over approximately three to six months. Fibrillations, which correspond to denervation, can be seen at three to four months on EMG. That's all for this review about humeral shaft fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.